Hi, my name is Ali Kassir, and I'm the CEO and founder of Robin. Uh, to me, Femtech is uh, you know, using tech-enabled solutions to solve um, or improve um, problems in women's health, which is, to me, the biggest moonshot that we need the best and brightest working on. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and before we kick off today's episode, I want to tell you about our upcoming summit on March 21st and 22nd. Get your tickets for this badass Women's Health and Wellness Conference at femtechsummit.com. We have awesome speakers like Jesse Draper from Hologen Ventures, one-on-one office hours with investors, and a reverse pitch competition where femtech investors will pitch to founders about the types of deals they're looking for. Get your ticket today at femtechsummit.com. Okay, fem fans, today's episode features my interview with Allison Kassir, CEO and founder of Robin. After countless procedures, false hopes, negative pregnancy tests, and a sea of unanswered questions, Allison didn't see failure. She saw an opportunity. She set out to ensure that no other woman ever felt as alone and confused as she once did. And she started the company Robin. Robin's on a mission to take maternity wellness and education accessibility to everyone. Today, Robin is a digital platform for aspiring, expecting, and new parents, featuring 200-plus meticulously selected providers across specialized fields, including acupuncture, nutrition, lactation, mental and physical health, and personal coaching. Robin has also launched Parent Birth, a modern and inclusive virtual childbirth education class featured real stories and parent-centric care. We have a special promo code for you listeners. Use Femtech10, that's Femtech10, for $10 off your childbirth education class or any service on Robin. Just go to wearerobin.co and use promo code Femtech10 for $10 off. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Allie, welcome to the show. Hey, Britt. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Definitely. I uh, normally don't look this good in our podcast interviews, but we had uh, Femtech Fundamentals today. So I got my lighting <laughs> all set up, got my good earrings on, the nice background. So, um, but you look, you look awesome too. You're in like a co-working space. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I am in a co-working space, um, which is kind of rare these days. But Super rare. Have, Super yeah, rare. I, I have three kids under four, so oh. the chance of getting any work done at home is just not happening, and oh. very few, few people are utilizing the workspace, so it's actually really safe in here. So Yeah, I have interviewed over 100 people, and the number of people that have been in a public place 
I would say less than 10% <laughs> since I started the show. <laughs> oh man. Well, let's kick off our interview with um, background about yourself. Our found, our listeners love to find out where our founders started, right? We usually don't come out of the womb, say we want to work with vulvas and uteri, uteri right? So what did you originally study? Did you have a career before this? And then how did you end up here? Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Ali Kassir, um, and I am the CEO and founder of Robin. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and then I went to college in Philadelphia at UPenn, and I studied engineering. Um, and then after Penn, I moved to New York, and I was there for 10 years. Uh, eight of those years, I actually worked in finance. Um, and two of those years was kind of the transition where I was starting my path to parenthood and ended up founding Robin. And then uh, two years ago now, we moved to LA and that's where we live now. And as I said before, I'm the mom of three boys under four. Um, so our home is a, a little bit chaotic uh, these days, but um yeah, really grateful for them. And I'll, I'll kind of talk about how we created our family and how that led to me founding Robin. Definitely. I have a few questions. Um, was the move to LA because of the company or because of something else? It was really personal and, and personal, family okay. related. Yep. Yeah. Because yep. um, I, you know, uh, having been an entrepreneur in Texas, there was a lot of talk of do you leave Texas to go to LA or New York or San Francisco? Um, since, since then, that was like, you know, years ago, since then, Texas is an amazing place to start your startup and you do not need to leave, especially during the pandemic. You really can do your company anywhere. So I was kind of curious about, about the move, but, um, and then I want to ask you real quick before we get into like what your company does and stuff with your financial background, do you think that that helped you become a founder? Because, I argue very often that more scientists should become entrepreneurs because entrepreneurship is just one giant experiment. You know, it's one giant PhD where you're testing and you have no money and you're super stressed and you're just like trying to be humble and trust the data and, and try to prove something out. So what about a financial background, having worked in finance? Do you think that really helped you with starting a company? Yeah, I would say that both my educational background being in science and engineering mm -hmm. and my work experience being in finance both really helped me up, helped me out and set me up um, for kind of this entrepreneurial life. I mean, nothing can really prepare you for starting your own company. And there's so many highs and lows. And, you know, you think you know what you're doing in the beginning. And then you're like, wow, I really didn't know what I was getting myself <laughs> into. I feel like that but um <laughs> yeah I mean when I think about my educational experience really what you're learning in engineering you know undergrad is how to solve problems right mm -hmm. you know your tests end up being here's a blank white sheet of paper like build me the solution right so having that I think problem solving you know creative but also analytical um you know mindset kind of really helped um, you know, when you start your own business. And then, of course, I think, you know, the finance background definitely helps. Um, you know, we raised our first round of capital last year in November of 2019. 
And a lot of the skill set that I learned, you know, when I was working in finance was really, you know, helpful and important for getting funded because as you know, you know, I think only 2% of venture money goes to female founders. I don't know what the percentage is for solo female founders with three young, crazy boys, Um, but I think maybe it's even less than than 2%. So um, yeah, I would say definitely having that finance background can, can help a lot. Absolutely. Quick question. Your undergrad, was it a liberal arts school? No. So I was actually in the school of engineering and applied science at Penn. So there's four different schools in the undergrad. There's nursing, engineering, uh, arts and sciences, and then Wharton is business undergrad. Um, so I was in the, the school of engineering. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I I went to a liberal arts undergrad and the lack of scantrons and the number of presentations I had to give, I think, put me in such a good position to be an entrepreneur uh, in terms of like, explain that more to me, you know, like investors don't give me a scantron (laughs) to take, right? They say, make me my argument, right? And give me a presentation on it. So um, anyways, I was just curious about that. Let's talk about Robin. What is Robin? And then let, um, and feel free to, I don't know how the story flows. Is it better to start with why you started it or what it is? And then tell us how you started it. Tell you, you pick which, which order. Yeah, sure. So um, Robin is a digital platform for aspiring, expecting and new parents. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we connect those parents with parental wellness and education tools and resources and providers. So if you think about um, the name Robin, the the way I like to think about it is your Batman, we're Robin, we're your sidekick. Yeah. So like, you know, we're your sidekick every step of the way from trying to conceive and fertility all the way through those first few years of parenthood. So our, you know, two main products that you could use if you're an aspiring, expecting or new parent who's listening um, one, you know, you could go to our site and you can find and book a provider like a doula, a lactation consultant, an infant sleep coach, a dietitian, and all of our providers have been vetted by Robin and they specialize in this period of time, fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum. Um, so it's kind of all of that complementary care that would go alongside your primary care that maybe you're getting from an OBGYN or from a reproductive endocrinologist if you're going through fertility treatments. Um, And then the other product that we launched recently is our virtual classes. So we have a virtual childbirth education class. So for anyone whose hospital birthing class was canceled or they don't feel like paying $300 for a Zoom with an RN at their hospital, um, you can actually purchase parent birth, which is $49. And it's three hours. It's taught by 15 of our top providers. Um, and it really gives you, you know, preparing for birth, labor and delivery, postpartum support. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the other kind of product that we have. Um, and in terms of like why I started it, I mean, I alluded to it in the beginning. Um, so I was working in finance for eight years. Then my husband and I started trying to have a family and we're trying and trying and trying and ultimately faced unexplained infertility. Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up taking a leave of absence from my finance job and just used that time 
to really like mother myself um, and, um, you know, focus on my fertility treatments. I thought I would be back in my finance job in, you know, three or four months, happily pregnant. <laughs> um, and our journey ended up being a little bit longer than that. Um, we ended up going through IVF to um, have our twins. And while I was on this sabbatical, I just became really passionate about the intersection of fertility and wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started changing my diet, changing my exercise routine, started seeing a reproductive psychiatrist, um, really anything that I could control during this time. Um, and the other big thing that I did during this time was I just started sharing my story. So mm-hmm. at this time, you know, three or four years ago, no one was really talking about these topics on social media, like infertility, miscarriage and loss. It was just really, you know, not talked about. It was still like social media was still like a brag reel um, of everything that was kind of going right in brag life. Reel. Wow. That is so real. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, and luckily that has since changed. There's so many, you know, platforms where people are being open about, you know, their real and raw past the parenthood, but at the time there really wasn't. So we started to grow a, just a community on social media around changing the fertility conversation. Um, so it started with me sharing my journey, but very quickly we were sharing other families' journeys and other paths to parenthood, fertility journeys, pregnancy journeys, postpartum journeys. Um, and it was great because all of a sudden there was this like collective wisdom And you could share, not feel alone in what you were going through, connect with other women and families who are on a similar path, Mm -hmm. um, and not feel as like alone or confused on your path to parenthood. So, um, we, once the community had grown to a significant size, we had the opportunity to really talk to other parents about their pain points Mm -hmm. and kind of discovered that, you know, access to resources, classes, expert wellness providers wasn't really, you know, available and they were looking for tools like that. So we essentially used the community to discover, um, you know, the tech enabled products that we were going to build to solve some of those pain points. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really how it started. And um, it's been, you know, an evolution and a bunch of different, you know, pivots and, and exciting, you know, it's been now, um, you know, almost four years since like wow. the first germ of an idea of sharing my story and what that would mean and that I wasn't going to go back to my finance job. So, um, so yeah, that's a little bit of background there. Wow. I have a bunch of questions. Um, let's start <laughs> with, uh, uh, where's the company at now? You said you fundraised. Um, can you give us some statistics on like how many families have been on the platform or what kind of um, you know, just to let our listeners know, like where you're at in the company's journey. Yeah. So, um, we went through the discovery phase with our community about two years ago, where we really just listened and learned. Um, and then a year ago, as I mentioned, we raised our first round of capital. Mm -hmm. So up until a year ago, we really didn't have the resources to build out the team, to build out the products. Mm -hmm. So suddenly like that really opened, you know, the ability to create, you know, a real company out of what was once, you know, me and an Instagram account. Um, (laughs) Where it usually starts. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
So we are fairly, you know, new early stage. We launched both of these products, which I mentioned, you know, the marketplace where you can find them both providers as well as the class in August. Okay. So it hasn't even been a full year that those products have been out there. Um, in terms of like stats, we like to say our community size is about 75,000 aspiring, expecting and new parents across yeah. Instagram, across Facebook, yeah. Pinterest, and our email um, newsletter. And um, yeah, we've helped like thousands of women through our classes and our programs. That's incredible. All right. A few more questions coming your way. Uh, I do a lot of consulting and mentoring with founders, and I am noticing a lot of founders want in femtech in particular, want to make marketplaces for, you know, sexual wellness marketplace, fertility marketplace, motherhood marketplace. And um, I've personally never built a marketplace. I think that it can be amazing. I also think it can be incredibly challenging. Um, this is not on our prepared list of questions, but now that I'm, I'm learning this, you, um, I'm sure there's a bunch of these aspiring marketplace founders listening. Can you give a either a word of wisdom in terms of like, would you do it again in terms of a marketplace or, you know, what's the best thing about it? What's the worst thing about it? I'm also asking for myself to kind of learn too about um, a femtech marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the marketplace model is very challenging, right? Because you essentially have to figure out what the flywheel is going to be for both a demand side and a supply side. So in our case, the demand side is the community of aspiring, expecting new parents. For us, the supply side is, you know, the parental wellness providers that we onboard to our network. Um, and, um, you know, I would say, um, would I do a marketplace again? Let me think about that for a second. Um, I would say one of the advantages that we had going into a marketplace model was having already built out the community. So mm -hmm. we felt like we already had a built-in demand side. So it's really hard to focus on both. You kind yes. of have to figure out, okay, am I going to like focus on the demand or focus on the supply? Yes. So over the past year, we've kind of switched gears where we kind of know how to grow the community through content and through, you know, the storytelling that we do, but the providers, we had to learn about the supply side, right? So this past year we brought on 200 expert providers um, and started to create community amongst them. So we created a, a private one-to-one -one community where they can idea share and refer patients to one another um, so it's really, you know, it's that community building skill, but you've got to kind of figure it out for both sides of the marketplace. And then once you got it to the right size and, you know, you have a supply that can meet demand or a demand can meet supply, it's about making sure that those connections are happening. Um, so, you know, for us, I would say, you know, the marketplace model, I think, it, it's it's really like a longer build yeah um and it's like a longer build I think before you can also monetize yep. um so for us we've always looked to like strategic partnerships and b2b deals as a way that we could have like supportive cash flow yep. while we build out this consumer product um because it also takes parents a little while to like adjust consumer behavior right and like learn that they can find and book a doula as easy as booking a restaurant reservation. Like that's not going to happen overnight either. So yeah, if you're going the marketplace model and you can't monetize 
early on, you really do have to figure out, well, am I going to be able to just perpetually fundraise for this? Uh, or am I going to find another way, yeah. you know, to potentially fund it? So for us, we have a number of like hospitals, health systems, health plans that are very interested in our product at like a system level okay. um, where they might want to like have this available for their patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the kinds of deals that we're focused on right now um, from just a traction perspective yeah, yeah. so that we can continue to build out the marketplace um, in a like more sustainable way. If oh that's my gosh. Possible. That is next time a founder books me for mentor hours and they ask me about a marketplace, I'm going to say, go to minute 16 on this episode <laughs> because that was a really great kind of explanation. That was awesome. Um, you said something about a reproductive psychiatrist earlier. What is that? I've never heard that term. Yeah. So um, maternal mental health is really its own field. And well, there tell are- Tell me more about this. What is that? There are psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, coaches that specialize in the maternal mental health topics like miscarriage and loss, like infertility, like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD, postpartum psychosis. There's a whole list of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Uh So that's really, you know, the person that you would want to go to if you're facing one of those challenges, you're not going to want to go to see a therapist that isn't like well-versed in maternal mental health, because that's just not going to be that helpful for you if you're struggling with one of those specific issues. Yeah. And I was, cause I was also wondering, like, if you're breastfeeding, you may not be able to take Prozac or whatever, you know, a, a day in day out psychiatrist may prescribe. So these doctors probably have some kind of like maybe holistic or remedies they could recommend. Correct. Well, um, I mean, any psychiatrist should be well-versed on like, what is safe during pregnancy and, and what is not yeah. but but believe me I'm yes I think anyone who is on medication it's best to seek out a maternal mental health professional yeah. so that they can be sure that they're putting together you know with you the right plan for either staying on medication because in a lot of cases staying on the medication is actually the best thing that you could do for yeah. you and your baby yeah. or finding something that's uh you know an alternative that will work for you yeah um, this is so awesome. So do you feel like your platform has, uh, you kept seeing like doula. And so do, is it a little bit more, um, for, you know, couples or parents that want to do kind of the at home stuff, or is this also a platform that's totally perfect for the classic, you know, American woman who's going to go to the hospital? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, is it for both kinds of, of births? Yeah. So when we set out to create Robin, like we know that every path to parenthood is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the U.S., I mean, 98% of births happen in hospitals. Yeah. And while you're seeing a trend in like some standalone birthing centers and you have seen home births pick up slightly during COVID, really at scale, birth is happening in the hospital. So mm-hmm. our job is to meet you know, women and families where they're at, which is to be complementary to the primary care that they're getting. 
um, from an OBGYN or from a midwife who's actually going to be delivering a baby mm-hmm. um, or babies in my case. Um, <laughs> so we really look for wellness providers who are integrative, meaning that they will work directly with you and your primary care um, physician um, on like the best plan for you. Um, any provider who comes to us and has a very rigid way of thinking about birth and like it's their way or the highway, like that person is really not a good fit. Yeah. To lob in. Yeah. Um, another thing that I heard about is that you are seeing some kind of trends with early parents and effects on women differently and, and early moms. Take me through like what those terms even mean and, uh, and what you're seeing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, when we speak to women and families, which we did during that discovery phase, but we continually do within the community, the three biggest challenges that we hear are stigma, misinformation, and accessibility to resources. So stigma being, you know, I still feel really alone in what I'm going through, and I don't feel like I have the community and support, Um, you know, misinformation. I think, you know, as much as the collective wisdom sharing is great. Um, you know, you'll find a message board where, you know, a random user is giving you health and wellness advice, and that's just not necessarily helpful. Um, The number of social media threads that I have to be like, hey, geneticist here, tuning in, like to give you my opinion, like, I don't know where you went to school, got your doctorate, but uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be really hard to sift through the misinformation. So that's why we built Robin in a way where you can speak and work with directly with the experts. And while hearing what another mom has to say can be helpful, you can also see both sides. Yeah. Um, and then accessibility to resources. So when we speak to parents who say, you know, listen, like I love my OBGYN, but they give me six minutes of their time every appointment. And like, that's barely enough time to do an ultrasound, let alone answer all of my questions on mental health and nutrition and lactation and infant sleep. And, you know, is this normal? Is this normal? Is this normal? So it's like, that's why we built Robin the way we did so that you can have, you know, accessibility to more than just your doctor and that it can be your team, your village kind of supporting you mm-hmm. through that. Um, I mean, the the big movement that we have been pushing for at Robin and it, it um, is the name of our childbirth education class, but we're really trying to make it bigger than just one class. It's really a movement is this movement for parent birth. So, um, you know, the U.S. has been systemically set up for childbirth. And what does that mean? It means like, you know, baby's first appointment after birth is three days, whereas women wait six weeks to see their doctor after a vaginal birth. Right, you know, the which US is insane. Is their vagina is in it, like, <laughs> like they're bleeding ungodly amounts of blood. My sister just had a pregnant. I just had her first baby. It's the first baby in our family. So I have uh, six months ago, I would have been like, "Wow, that's crazy," but now I'm like, "No, really, I saw it. I really saw this happen in real life." You're right. <laughs> she needed to go to the doctor way sooner than six weeks. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at that first pediatrician appointment three days after having the twins 
and <laughs> bleeding, obviously, still, like, you know, as diapers, you have a cool pack, and yeah, of yeah. course, yeah, and asking the pediatrician, like, can someone check me out? Like, I'm not oh, yeah. someone that needs help, right? And yet, I didn't see that doctor until six weeks later. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example. You know, the other example that I think is really striking and that people need to talk more about is that the maternal mortality rate in this country is actually rising. So, every year, more women die from childbirth or childbirth-related causes than the year before. And there's a huge racial disparity. So if you're a woman of color, you're, it's three to four times more likely um, to die from childbirth or childbirth-related causes than a white woman is. So these are all examples of how like the U.S. is just set up like for childbirth, but not for parent birth. So for us, like parent birth is this movement where we're addressing the parent who has also just been born. Um, like if this is a whole change, um, you know, that you go through, you know, hormonally and, um, you know, emotionally and physically, and, you know, you're, you now have all this responsibility and you have this newborn and you're like, what do I do? Is this normal? So we are really pushing, um, for this, you know, movement of parent birth. It's very similar, you know, to a concept that they actually talk about in maternal mental health called, um, matrescence. Um, which is the becoming of a mother. So similar to adolescence, um, where you're going through puberty and you have these hormonal, emotional, and physical changes, matrescence is the, the becoming of a mother, um, but no one really gives it any airtime, right? Like you've never even heard of the word. I never even heard of that word. And I'm like yeah. this tech expert over here talking about <laughs> vaginas every day. Never heard that <laughs> word. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's championed by the mental health professionals we feature on our platform. It's championed by the doulas we feature on our platform. And for us, like, you know, this is just very similar to this movement for parent birth. Why are you calling it parent birth and not mom birth? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, every path to parenthood looks different. And, you know, we are, um, you know, inclusive of all different, you know, types of, of families. And, um, you know, for us, it's, um, you know, parent is the most inclusive term um, we can use. And it's challenging sometimes, because sometimes people, when we say parental wellness versus maternal wellness, mm. if, you know, maybe not as obvious of, of what we're talking about. But for us, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is super important. And, um, we really want all families um, to feel like they can find support on Robin. I love that answer. I was, I was a softball, like, wow, you're <laughs> obviously inclusive. You didn't call it mother birth, you know, like, so definitely. I love that. I love that. And we make, you know, we try our best uh, to make sure we're interviewing the most inclusive uh, founders as well, because, um, parenting is very oh god it's evolved sexualities and genders and colors and ages and sizes and all the things and it's like listen I don't I I care about all the vaginas even if you identify as a man <laughs> like I yeah. there, you yeah. know yeah um, so that's yeah. that's yeah. what we're doing here yeah um yeah I mean the other important thing to note there is just like how important a partner's role is too yeah. right so it's like you know, this idea of, you know, equal and shared, you know, responsibility as parents, like it starts, 
now. So like, but by saying like, it's all about maternal health and wellness, and we're not even addressing the partner, um, you know, that's, that's really, you know, not, um, not what we're going for either. So that's, that's also important. Right. Um, one of the things that, uh, I know that you're passionate about is reproductive justice. Can you tell me more about what that, what that means and, and what that looks like for you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's varying definitions of reproductive justice in this field, but the one that we like to use is really the human right to have a family or to not have a family, if you choose to do so, um, create that family in any way you so choose, and then parent that family in a safe way. So, you know, there are many examples of reproductive injustices that we come across, right? So I talked about before this disparity in maternal morbidity and maternal mortality rates um, between women of color and between white women. Um, You know, another example of a reproductive injustice might be, you know, that some aspiring parents don't have access to fertility treatments like IVF and surrogacy because they can't afford them for socioeconomic reasons, right? So, and insurance, their insurance doesn't cover it because there's only, I think, 15 states, one five that mandate, you know, some sort of fertility coverage. Um, So, you know, Reproductive justice is really how we always think about diversity, equity, and inclusion at our company because it's always through that lens of reproductive justice because that's where we feel like we can have the most impact. Um, so yeah, if you're not getting it yet, we are a very mission-based <laughs> company and like <laughs> this is very central. So whether it's creating a diverse provider network, whether it's sharing different paths to parenthood, whether it's you know finding a way to advocate for political change, you know, like we really, you know, this is our, this is, this is our, like, very central to the company. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. This is, you know, I, I'm really excited to see this, um, you know, femtech did exist even before the word did, but it was mostly about how can we help affluent white women get pregnant? (laughs) and like that was pretty much femtech for like decades and then now there's like this new like hey like women need help in different phases of their life not just during getting pregnant like huh actually women of different races have different needs like you know and so I'm really excited about us looking at it in all different ways and you know I always tell people sure there's areas of saturation in femtech but it's mostly for affluent white women like if you look at it with a different lens like everything still needs innovating um one of my uh last questions for you about about Robin and your mission here is um what are some ways that we can break the stigma around infertility and especially loss um you know we have had some infertility folks on here IVF stuff so we we've kind of talked about that but really love to hear some more about what are the the rates and the statistics um and like of loss of pregnancy and like how do you guys address that yeah, so um, I mean, the numbers straight out, like one in eight um, couples struggle with fertility issues. So that's one stat. And then the other stat is one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage or loss. One in four. Um, one in four. One in four. Wow. And that's actually considered a conservative number when you think about all of the early miscarriages, which are sometimes called uh, chemical pregnancies, that can happen, you know, really early on. Um 
So those are the numbers. It's extremely common. And of course, you know, you can see from our Instagram and our platform, like we're all about storytelling and sharing. Um, I know from personal experience, like when I opened up and shared my story, um, I mean, women in my like immediate network, family, friends came out of the woodwork I had never known had struggled with, you know, miscarriage and loss or infertility before kind of sharing their stories and supporting me on my journey. So you know, not everybody is going to be like me and post to social media. That's not necessary. But I think making sure you have some outlet, like someone that you can talk to about these things, because, you know, the stigma is really another word for shame and feeling like mm-hmm. you're alone. Um, so I think sharing is, is super important. Um, I also think like there are language things that we could change around, you know, that would help in changing the conversation. So let's take these two words, right? infertility. Um, You know, I went through IVF. I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility. I then went on to have a natural pregnancy to have my third. I didn't even like mention that surprise on the other side of it. So like, am I infertile? Like I had two kids via IVF and then I had a kid naturally. Like, so should I be called infertile? I just don't even think it's like a, it's the appropriate term. And it's a very, um, it can be just a very harsh term to hear as a woman, um, you know, that you are diagnosed as infertile, um, which just feels like an un, you know, it's just a, a block in your path to parenthood. Um, you know, and this word miscarriage, like, mm. you know, miscarriages happen because of chromosomal issues or because of a structural issue in the uterus that you're most likely born with. Um, so why are we saying that a woman miscarried, right? It's just not yes. helpful. For, like she like, dropped the ball, make- right? Or like, she, right, exactly. yeah, yeah, she tripped yeah, and like fell she, or like some kind of an right. situation that it was her accident, her doing. Interesting. Right. And women are already that. blaming themselves, right? Like yeah. women are already blaming themselves for feeling like, you know, incompetent or, you know, not like a full woman that you're not able to, you know, conceive or not able to carry. And so using these terms is just like, you know, really not helpful. Um, So, you know, of course, it's hard to change, um, you know, the language, but I think over time with enough advocacy, we could all figure out like, for us, I mean, with Robin, we usually we never use the word infertility, because I could say fertility clinic or infertility clinic. They both kind of mean the same thing. Or I could say fertility journey or infertility journey. They both kind of mean the same thing. So it's like we are always, so we are actively trying to change the language. Um, And I think, you know, over time, hopefully that that kind of stuff sticks. Do you have another word for miscarriage that you've come up with yet? I think loss is is a much more appropriate word because it truly is a loss. And we live in a death denying society where we don't have the words to talk about loss. And I mean, listen, like this year has been a year, you know, 2020 was a year of like unimaginable loss um, during the pandemic. Um, But we don't, yeah, we're not equipped with the words to talk about it. So it is really a loss. Like, I'm sorry for your loss. Like, you know, and um, I, I prefer that word yeah. over miscarriage. Yeah. Allie, 
I'm getting so much maternal energy from you. Sometimes I interview people and I'm like, we're going to be girlfriends with you. I feel like I can call you in the middle of the night crying and that you'd listen to me. Like that's the energy I'm getting right now. I'm like, she's so maternal and sweet. Like I think she would tell me nice things. <laughs> that's what I'm getting Aww. from you. That's an awesome, awesome <laughs> quality, especially running Robin. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Our our last two questions our listeners love. The first one is if someone wanted to start a femtech company, what are areas in women's health and wellness that you think still need innovating? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I mean, femtech is just far more expansive than what is currently funded, what is currently out there. There is such a diversity in women's health experiences that's just not about like fertility and periods or for white affluent women, like you said before, so perfectly. Um, so I want people to know who's listening, like there are, there's so much opportunity, um, you know, even like within femtech, like I actually, I'm part of a group called FamTech, F-A-M tech, uh-huh. just like just for, you know, the family section of femtech. So if you think about like femtech being the overhead, there's got to be like all these, you know, offshoots. Um, So, um, you know, like, I think within your question, you know, you said health and wellness. And I think like, there's an answer right there. And like, this is an example of like, what we're trying to build is like building a bridge between what we consider, you know, healthcare, like the healthcare establishment of like hospitals and health systems and insurance companies and primary care physicians and like what we consider wellness. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think there's just unfortunately been a lot of barriers between health and wellness. And I think we need more companies that are really building bridges. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably where um, where I would say like, I see the most opportunity. I love that. A bridge between the healthcare system and and your everyday wellness, right? Like, you know, a doctor says, work out more or eat better, but then you're just like, let you you leave the doctor's office, you know, and you're like, hope my (laughs) mixture is better. I'm just going to try to figure it out. Or, you know, I, I personally love to marry Western medicine and Eastern medicine. So I, you know, I take my antibiotics and I also like get acupuncture. Like I take my psych meds and I get cupping. So, you know, like I'm like, "Mm, right. Go together, you know? Um, Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Our last question is um, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? I think a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely funding. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've looked at the stats of how, you know, femtech and female founders in general were funded, you know, so much less in 2020 and how the pandemic is just kind of like weighing, um, you know, on, on, you know, that particular founder type even more. Um, So, you know, definitely funding, you know, of course, like top talent, you know, product. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, I think like buy-in from the healthcare establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, like, 
I like we we talk about our four D's at um, Robin, and I feel like this is a, maybe a good way to like integrate into what the industry itself needs. So like the first D is demystify. Like we need more data, more research, more facts, more truth to like help like cut through the noise. And this is not on. niche. This is not niche. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like debunk what feels like too big or too complex. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I've mentioned it a bunch of times on this podcast already, but destigmatization, like when something is underrepresented, underreported, you know, unaccepted or, you know, goes against the societal norms. Um, it's often stigmatized. Um, and I think continuing to destigmatize some of these topics is just really important um, for the progress of, of the industry as a whole. Um, you know, our other two Ds, defend and democratize. So, mm. you know, defend, you know, I spoke a lot about reproductive justice already, and there are just so many social and political conditions that Im like impact our reproductive rights. So we just need to continue to advance the conversation um, in terms of the last deed, democratize. It's really about, you know, making this accessible to all, you know, um, you know, to all women, to all parents, to all families, you know, and, um, you know, we have got a big way to go in terms of democratizing these services to your point where it's, you know, not just the white affluent woman who has access to, you know, these STEM tech or fam tech yep. option. So yep. um, yeah, that's probably like a nice summary to kind that of bring was a circle. Perfect. Wow. <laughs> you are amazing. Thank you for all you do for all of the parents out there. I love this idea of we we need to talk about how parents are birthed and not just just the child because especially like you said the maternal mortality rate is increasing. I personally am twice as likely to die from, you know, giving childbirth than my own mother, which is yeah. insane. So, yeah. um obviously you are you're working on something that literally women's lives are on the line. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you. It was so great talking to Britt and I just wanted to mention for anyone who wants to find out more information about Robin um, our handle is at we are Robin. Our website is we are Robin.co. We actually made you a promo code. Um, so you can use femtech 10, uh, if you'd like to get $10 off our parent birth childbirth education class. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so look us up and would love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview with Allison Kassir, CEO and founder of Robin. My favorite part of the interview was thinking about how we're so obsessed with childbirth and how we need to also consider parent birth. Just as a baby starts its life the day it's born, so does parenthood. If you are an aspiring, expecting, or new parent, then get your $10 off of any Robin service by going to wearerobin.co and use promo code FEMTECH10 for $10 off any service. Already Fem fans, if you want to stay connected with FemTech Focus, then join our virtual community and subscribe to our newsletter at femtechfocus.org. 
In our virtual community, you can become a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month and get access to our library of recorded femtech content and free tickets to our femtech fundamental workshops, which help founders build, launch, and succeed. We also have our Monday night podcast listening parties, a new Femtech book club, and weekly office hours on Clubhouse. There's a lot going on, so definitely become a member of femtechfocus.org so you can stay up to date. While there, please consider setting up a recurring donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. KFEM fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.